If you want to be turning to Acts chapter 7 and verse 54, we're going to carry on with our, our journey through the early part of the Gospel of Acts. The Gospel of Acts. The early part of the Gospel of Acts. Can we stop recording and start again in a minute? When I wake up. We're going through the book of Acts. We're in chapter 7. We'll be looking at verse 54 onwards until the first half of the first verse of chapter 8. This is not a particularly fun passage. It follows on, obviously, from last week. And Stephen, in front of the religious leaders, Stephen reflecting on the big picture of God's great story of what he's done with his people. Stephen bringing truth with love to the religious leaders in answer to their charges to him. Well, we see what happens next. Acts 7 and verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. As I say, this isn't a fun passage. It's not easy in many ways. In fact, I would describe it in three ways. It's ugly. We see the horrendous rage of the leaders as they hear what Stephen has said and they brutally murder him. We see it's ugly, but it's also beautiful. In the midst of this horrendous persecution, horrendous situation, Stephen has his eyes fixed on his saviour. It's a beautiful, glorious victory going on. We said that last week. There's a great victory here. So it's ugly and it's beautiful and almost as you wrap those two up together and even as we've heard through the meeting already, as you wrap those two together, it becomes brutally challenging as a passage to read and a passage to take on board and to understand and to understand what is going on. It prompts so many questions. What's going on? But more deeply, how, how do we view suffering and persecution? 
How do we face suffering and persecution? And dare I say, even death. As I keep pushing this phrase, there's a great victory here. It challenges what perhaps we may think a victory looks like. We could ask other questions. How do we trust God? What does it look like to trust God in everything? It's ugly, it's beautiful, and it's challenging. And we'll look at those three in a minute, but we see the story. We see this man, Stephen, who we kind of first come across in chapter six. He's chosen as one of the seven who are going to make sure that everyone gets the right food and make sure that this task is carried out. He's described as a man full of the spirit. We see as we go on through chapter 6 that Stephen has been doing incredible things by the power of God. Chapter 6 and verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. He's doing amazing things in the power of God. The Spirit of God's working through him. In the very very next verse, we see opposition arises. He's performed great wonders and signs among the people, but opposition arises. As it says in 6 verse 9, opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. There's this opposition that's come and accusations start to be brought and they're they're trying to plot and find a way of pinning something on him and they eventually bring him before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of the day. And as he's brought before the Sanhedrin, as I said last week, we see this great victory being enacted as Stephen responds to their accusations, responding in faith. By the power of the Holy Spirit, eyes fixed on the big picture of God's glory. That this is the goal, this is what it's all about. God will get the glory. As he does so, Stephen holds out this love and truth to his accusers, love that doesn't shy away from going for it in bringing truth, in bringing direct challenge. We can see all of it and we just think, oh, Stephen, yes, Stephen. It's fantastic. Stephen, look at, look at him standing in faith, going for it in faith. And then we could ask the question, well, what do we want to happen next? Stephen's been doing these amazing things. Oppositions arose. Accusations have come. Stephen stood up in faith, absolutely gone for it. He's preached the word. He's, he's nailed it. He's dramatically shown them the big picture. No, 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 I've not got it wrong. You've got it wrong. See, not, not that bluntly, more, more winsomely. He's, he's got there. He's brought them around. Surely, surely there's going to be some kind of breakthrough here. But we come to this ugly scene. But we can ask that question. What, what, would, we, what would we want to happen next? What do we think the victory would look like? You see, Stephen's passionately laid out the truth. And so we get here, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were cut to the heart. They fell on their knees. 
They asked Stephen, what must we do to be saved? That's one option. Perhaps less dramatically, we might think, well, maybe we'd go with, maybe we could go with this slightly less dramatically. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they pondered Stephen's words and they said to him, you're free to go. We must consider this more fully. You have given us much to think about. Or perhaps some combination of those, some alternative, something maybe like what happened in Acts chapter 5. They don't know what to do. They have the apostles flogged and then they let them go. And you kind of think, well, that doesn't sound quite right, but at least they were freed. But here is what happens next. Here is what happens next. This is the truth. This is how they respond to the truth. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Outraged. This is a really dramatic sentence. There's power in this sentence. They were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. They're not a little bit cross. They're outraged. They're furious. They're appalled at what he's brought. And we see it goes on. Stephen looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing and the glory of God. And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he tells them that. But that just makes things worse. Verse 57, they cover their ears and they're yelling at the top of their voices and they're dragging him out of the city. And they kill him. What did we want to happen next? What did I want to happen next? What did we think a victory might look like in our terms? Well, surely they've got all to be saved. Or at least they let Stephen go and preach the gospel again. No, Stephen ends up dead. Is this an evil, ugly disaster? Well, it's horrible. Stephen is brutally persecuted here. Stephen pays the ultimate price for following his saviour. But he is holding firm. But he pays the ultimate price. It is ugly. And we could argue, well, this isn't a success at all. Stephen's words didn't change their minds. It made them more angry. The more he talks, the more angry they get. They're not changing. They're still getting more entrenched in their own views. They're not listening to this. And then we could think, well, and, and then they get more angry and then God doesn't miraculously rescue him. He wasn't whisked away or mysteriously released. We'll hear some amazing stories a bit later on in Acts of Peter walking out of a prison cell. He ends up dead, killed, martyred. Well, what's going on here? This doesn't look like a brilliant victory at all. Yeah, I will continue to argue that this is at the same time beautiful and glorious, and there is a massive, brilliant, amazing victory going on here. See, that's the challenge to us. We see it as ugly, but do we see the beauty? 
Do we see the glory here? Do we see this as victory? You could ask, Rich, why are you even saying that? Why do you keep saying that? Well, the victory is right here. Stephen stands firm for God. Stephen holds firm in the face of accusation and unjust charges and just pure flat-out lies. Stephen holds firm to God. Stephen looks up and sees Jesus and says, I am living for you. Whatever they say, whatever they do, whatever they do to me, they can do whatever they like to me, but I am trusting you. And I'm not going to change my mind. He speaks the truth in love to them. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't try to vindicate himself or look to find a diplomatic way out. Stephen obeys God even to this. Fury, rage, dragged, stoned, killed. Right in the midst of this passage, we see this wonderful moment. As they furiously are going at him, Stephen looks up. And in the midst of it all, he sees heaven opened. He sees the glory of God and Jesus standing next to the Father. And Stephen, in the face of their accusations, in the face of their fury, in the face of all their power and might and what they can do to him in a natural sense and end up doing to him. He stands firm, at peace, even to the point of death. Stephen gets it. Stephen's captivated. Stephen is alive in God's. He knows his saviour went to the cross and died and rose again so that he may have life in him. He's worth following anywhere. He's worth following into any situation, even to this. I'm about to die for my faith. They're not going to change their minds. They're not going to turn. But I'm with you, God. There is beauty in this. In fact, everything in this just makes me want to yell out, yes, Stephen! This is amazing. He gets it. He understands. He sees what's going on. It's ugly. It's horrible. But in another way, it's beautiful, miraculous and glorious. In the face of ugly, vicious persecution, Stephen stands firm. Not compromising. Both eyes fixed on Jesus, on the big picture of God's great story and plan, his glory and eternity. As Pete was reminding us just now, Jesus has won a certain hope for us that goes beyond the grave. And so much of that can be painful and we recognise painful moments where we see, where we're staring death in the face. But our hope goes beyond the grave. We have a, a hope that is certain, those wonderful words from Hebrews 6 that Pete read out. The hope that goes beyond the grave. It goes, I should read them again. 
Otherwise, I'll stumble over them. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have a hope. Stephen gets that hope. Stephen understands that hope. It's ugly, and yet it's beautiful. As we pause and see this ordinary man trusting in God, full of the Spirit, recognising who his Saviour is, standing firm in the face of ugly violence and persecution. I encourage us to let our hearts rise, to see, yes, Jesus is worth it. But even in looking at those two things in tension, we see this is a, I will keep using this word, this is brutally challenging. This is such a challenge to us. Or let me speak personally, this is such a challenge to me. We can ask all the questions. How do we view persecution and suffering? How do we view our life itself? How do we view death? What do we see as victory as we step out in obedience of God, in obeying God? How do we view persecution? In Acts 5, kind of semi-referred to this before, the apostles were dragged before the Sanhedrin again. In Acts 5, verse 27, it says, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin and to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And the story goes on. They're challenging them again. They're, they're, they're opposed to what they're doing. They don't like it. They're about to do stuff to them. And we learn that, in that on that occasion, Peter starts to speak and, and we're told that Peter's words persuaded them on that occasion. Let's stay in Acts 5. Peter's words persuaded them. Sorry, Gamaliel's words actually persuaded them. Peter's words make them furious again, like Stephen's. But in that moment, Gamaliel gets up and he talks and he, he reasons with them a bit. And his speech persuaded them. And they let them go. On that occasion... But they're flogged. They've been persecuted. They're told, don't say anything about this again. Don't talk about him. Don't talk about his name. But the apostles, as they come out, how do we face persecution? What did, how do they treat persecution? In verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing 
because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What a challenge. The apostles considered it left rejoicing because they had been considered worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. What a challenge. This is a cause for rejoicing. Perhaps we can sort of understand. Perhaps we've got some experience. Perhaps many of you might have more experience of it than I. We can understand the apostles as they come out, elated in some ways, but also in the other ways, recognizing, yes, we stood up for Jesus and they weren't happy about it. But we stood firm for him. Thank you, God that we could suffer for your name. We can understand they've been released. They've come out. And then we see Stephen. And just like them, he is utterly captivated by Jesus. And he doesn't get released. He goes even to death. Many of the apostles will face death later on. But we see Stephen utterly captivated by Jesus and the question rings out, and am I? And are we? My cry goes up, oh Lord, let me be so captivated by you, so in love with you, so committed to bring you glory, so full of your spirit that by faith I might stand like that. Whatever we may face, to rejoice in the face of persecution, even to the point of death. Wow. We see this from this story. Stephen's got his eyes fixed on his saviour. He's even forgiving his persecutors in the moment of his death. How do we view persecution? But you see, Jesus taught this. In Acts chapter 5, uh, Acts chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He goes on to talk to his disciples in the upper room. We read about that in John chapter 15 and 16. He's preparing them. This is going to happen. The world has hated me, so it's going to hate you. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Prepared. This is going to happen. This is a natural consequence. This is part of following him. The New Testament's full of it. We look at James chapter 1. We can look in so many places as well, but in James chapter 1 and verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then again in verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. New Testament's full of it. This will happen. This is going to happen. This will come. You will face trials in this life. You will face persecution. You will face suffering. But God is at work. He's at work. He's working in us. He's refining us. He's making us more like him. And he is glorifying his name. That's his ultimate, ultimate goal. His name will be glorified. He's sovereign. He is Lord. And we read from the apostles here, as we see Stephen facing death, when we get to suffer for him, what a privilege. What a privilege. What glory it is to be able to say, I love you, Lord. And I will face this for you. What glory to be counted worthy. Hear their words. To be counted worthy to be, to be persecuted for his name. To suffer for his name. We've been counted worthy. We've been chosen. But I think there's a challenge for us. There's a challenge for me. Perhaps we can miss this. Maybe we can... I know I can. Get comfortable and expect comfort. What a challenge for us in, 20, in the 21st century UK. I want to tread carefully. But here in the UK, where for many years and in many ways the church has been at least accepted to a point. It's a changing picture being a modern western world that it expects instant gratification and and says well my happiness that's key that's what should be happening my i should be happy i should be i should have the things i want and for many of us tied up in a well not exclusively western middle class worldview of aspiration of things always getting better of life Always kind of moving on from one step to the next. I'll get educated and then I might get a job and then I'll get a better job. I'll get a house. I'll get a better house. I'll get a car. I'll get a better car. I'm not saying those things are wrong. But it's a view that we can just deem as, well, that's just right, isn't it? That's just what happens. That's what's supposed to happen, isn't it? And if it differs from that, well, something's gone wrong. Our life's supposed to be going along like this. And if something hits, well, that's a blip that needs to be dealt with and get us back to this equilibrium of loveliness. Now, I recognise there are many different people in this room and many circumstances. Many circumstances that are not in any way comfortable. Many tough situations. Lots of grief and loss. Illness. Even persecution. Facing situations at work, facing situations with friends or with colleagues or situations where, where you, can you can really recognise what's going on with Stephen and with the apostles. Many challenges. 
But I think a challenge for us today, perhaps our view could still be, whether we're facing challenge or we're not at the moment, that actually the, we're supposed to be in this nice place where everything's going okay. And any challenge that comes must only be a temporary blip. It must be removed somehow. It must be wrong. Why is this happening? Can be a good question. But the danger can come that as we relax into a comfortable way of thinking that God can become to us the one who intervenes to make sure we're always comfortable rather than the one that we're trusting with everything and we're living for. And the risk that comes from that view is where do we go if God doesn't intervene in the way we want to or expect? We can start looking around, maybe perhaps as Nikki was bringing up uh, just earlier on. Thank you for that, Nikki. That sense that everyone else is okay, it's just me that's having a problem. It's just me that's not feeling it. And that must be wrong. Whereas actually, we're all living through things. We're all pressing on with God. We're all following him. We're all, we all need to look for him, look to him to see us through and to keep us going, whatever life brings our way. See, we can look into Stephen's story and think, well, the right answer here must be, must be somehow for God to rescue him. It must be. This is how it must work. I mean, God works for our good, right? But what we see here in the immediate term is God doesn't rescue Stephen from the situation. But you see, Stephen isn't clinging on to that either. No. In the face of death, we see Stephen at peace, full of the Spirit, calling for forgiveness for his persecutors. Rejoicing that he's counted worthy to suffer for his Saviour. And in fact, beautifully imitating his Saviour. We can look at the very similar words from Jesus' mouth in Luke 23. As Peter cries out, uh, sorry, as Peter... I am really struggling with names today. As Stephen cries out, Lord, receive my spirit. We could reflect on Jesus saying the same, Father, receive my spirit. And Stephen crying out, Lord, don't hold this against them. We could reflect on Jesus crying out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. We see Stephen beautifully imitating his saviour, facing death at peace because he's following his saviour. Bringing glory to God, trusting him and recognising God is at work. God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. But God in this moment is welcoming him home. Well done, Stephen. Well done. Come on home. It's ugly. It's beautiful. It's a brutal challenge. The truth is this, we will face trials. We will face persecution. We will face suffering as we go through life. So just as I close, four things, how do we face persecution and suffering? From what we've looked at today, firstly, don't be surprised. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 
and verse 33. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't be surprised. Things will come. Trials will come. Persecution will come. But he knows. He's at work. He has overcome the world. Secondly, let's see the beauty of Stephen's love and faith. Love for Jesus. Faith in him. Faith in this moment where everything appears to be going wrong. He's captivated on his saviour. Knowing that he is worthy. He is worth even dying for. So we were singing before, living for only Jesus. Easy words to say maybe, but wow, what a challenge. Lord, it's all about you. I'm going to live for you. Whatever comes my way, whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm going through, whatever people attack me with, whatever people say, I'm fixing my eyes on you. Thirdly, trust him and know he is at work. We sing at other times, another song we sing, it says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. No, he is in control. No, he is sovereign. He's good, that he's not taken by surprise. Know that he is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. Let's trust him, not just that he will give us the answer that we want. But in the wonderful truth that God, in his wisdom, is always at work doing the right thing. And that we can bring glory to his name, both in being miraculously rescued or protected, or in facing the challenges we face and walking through it with him. And even considering it pure joy to suffer for his name. We have a God who does give good gifts, who does intervene. Let's ask big things. He does answer. But is our trust in him dependent on getting the answer we want? Or will we trust him even to the point of death like Stephen did? He is at work even when we don't understand. Even the little glimpse we see here. God, what's going on here? If we just look to Acts 7 on its own. We see Stephen beautifully proclaiming the gospel. We see them completely reject it. And we see Saul, a young man who they're lying, laying their coats at the feet of, who approved of their killing him. God, what is going on here? Why Stephen dying and Saul's looking on thinking this is wonderful? And yet see what God is going to do. That that man who was approving of the death of Stephen, will one day be going to the nations. After God meets him on the Damascus Road. God is at work. Let's trust him with everything. And fourthly and finally, we're going to close here. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If we're not full of the Spirit, we can just take this of, oh, I better do this. This is what I need to do. Somehow I've got to stand firm. Somehow I've got to change my attitude. Somehow I've got to do something. No, we need him. 
to break in and change our hearts, to break in and give us faith, to break in and fill us with him, to keep changing us from, from where we were to where we're going to be, more like Jesus, more like him. I don't know where everyone's at today. This is not an easy passage. It's not nice, it's ugly. But we see the beautiful example of Stephen. And I want to challenge us to fix our eyes on him.